0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As a social worker, you can become an advocate for those who can't earn your master's in social work degree online to learn strategies to connect diverse populations with the critical resources they need to improve their well-being, whether it's in a hospital, community service agency, or another setting. What do you think making a difference as a social worker looks like? GCU offers over 250 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.
1: This week on the Garage Beers podcast. It's week eight, and we're yet another week closer to sports starting. In the Garage this week is Sports Illustrated's Matt Lodi to talk all things Indians, potential return of baseball, the last dance, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and his journey through his health condition. Plus, we've got our Garage Beers of the Week, and you don't want to miss those. So come on up the driveway, pull up a lawn chair, crack open your favorite cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. And welcome everybody in to another episode of the Garage Beers podcast. I am Michael Keefe with you as always and for the first time, I know I'm going to catch some grief from this. I know I'm going to catch grief for this. But for the first time, actually coming to you from the garage, I'm sitting out here. It's a gorgeous night uh, here on the west side of Cleveland. I'm in my garage and we're having a good time. So uh, we've got an awesome episode coming up for you. Uh, a lot of good stuff with our special ghost guest who we'll get to in a minute. But before we get to our special guest, let's have the other guys join in. My co host for this. Wild ride over on the east side of Cleveland. Chad Meyer always in the garage. What's going on, Chad?
2: Uh yeah, it's nice to see you in the garage. It's nice to see you living up to the name of the show for once, Mike. You know, I never blame Joe, but uh, uh Mike has a garage. Uh it, you know, it's it's plenty warm enough out there. You can always bundle now up. It is. But finally, finally, you're in the garage. I I I'm crying tears of joy over here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, now it's warm enough. It hasn't been warm enough yet until this week. It was snowing last week.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh. Yes. Wow.
1: You know what? I'm not even – Who yeah, was I'm still in the garage?
2: Who was still in the garage? I was.
1: You were. Yeah, you live a miserable existence, Chad. <laughs> I like my warmth. <laughs> yeah. And normally in Nashville, Tennessee, but this week – back in his hometown, and joining me in my garage, Joey Whalen. What's going on, Joe?
3: You know, it literally took me coming 500 miles for you to get to the garage, so
1: you're welcome. Don't you give me shit.
3: I <laughs> mean, <laughs> look, from Chad. I, you know, you know, I think if I had a garage, I would be out there. Um, you know, it, again, you know, Chad's got a point. It's dedication to the show. Um, but you know, I'm happy to coax it it did take a lot. You know, we spent we spent most of the day arguing about this, but I might trade um, you both out for our
1: stuff. <laughs> I'm not happy
2: with either one of you at this point. Well, listen, I could never I could never hold Joe accountable because he I, I would I would never ask him to lug all of his production equipment into a garage even if he had it. But Mike, there's no excuse for you, sir. Yeah,
1: it's called hypothermia, and I'm not down with it. <laughs> All right, and now let's bring in our special guest because we're very excited. We've got one of our uh, nearest, dearest friends, one of my nearest, dearest friends, uh, uh, a guy that needs relatively no introduction uh, around the Cleveland sports scene uh, and a guy that uh, we've we've been lucky enough to get to know uh, over the last, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, Matt Lodi is joining us in the garage. Hey, Matt, what's going on? What's up, guys? How are you? Man, we're... We're just, it's Wednesday night. That means it's podcast night. We love Wednesday nights.
4: Wednesdays are good. It's, uh, you guys are now in the stretch run for the rest of the week. And, uh, you know, like I said, Wednesdays, uh, Wednesdays are good days. That's, uh, you know, it's kind of like once you get through Wednesday, the rest of the week should fly. But, you know, since we've had this uh, shutdown, it, I don't even know what day it is half the time. So, yeah. No, tell me about it.
1: People, <laughs> What day is it? I feel like uh, Billy Madison, uh, October. Uh, yeah, we're really expecting. Here's we're expecting the podcast to really, really take off after this week, Lodi. We've had we've had good special guests on. We've had great special guests on. Tim Alcorn, Chico, Absolutely. Al Snow, Jay Crawford. Yeah, but, but this is the week. This is the big week. All right, we'll see what those numbers look like. <laughs> All right, well, Matt, we're going to bring you back in in just a second. But before we do that, we do uh, our regular weekly segment everybody's favorite segment it is time for our garage beers of the week where we go around and tell you the special beers that we are drinking in our garages here tonight and we're going to lead it off on the east side over there chad Myers in his garage chad what's your garage beer of the week
2: uh, well this week uh i went down to canton ohio i mean i didn't wow. actually go down there but you know i was roaming through giant eagle and, uh, you know, whenever I go shopping for beer, I always, uh, you know, by the way, John Eagle, no free ads, but if you want, uh, just contact myself, Mike or Joe. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I always look for myself, uh, for, for beers that I've never tried before. And this is from Royal Docks Brewing Company down in Canton, Ohio, right? And it's, uh, they call it the Backyard Crusher. Right. And and the idea behind this is you're just supposed to be able to sit in your backyard on a nice, warm, sunny day and be able to just drink the hell out of these things. <laughs> they call it a summer infused pilsner. And, and what it's supposed to be infused with is Egyptian lime and Mediterranean sea salt. OK, so it, um, that just caught my interest. I was like, why not? So I grabbed a six pack of it. Uh, let me just say I'm a few sips in, and it is not good.
1: <laughs> oh no! So Chad comes strong with a not good garage beer of the week.
2: Basically, I mean, I mean, it's drinkable, and you you definitely see why it's called Backyard Crusher. But <laughs> you know, your expectations of when you when you read the description of this beer are are higher than what the result is because basically they just took a Miller Lite added lime and salt in it and they said no it's craft beer <laughs> it's craft beer." so uh yeah
1: well hey listen uh they can't they can't all be winners right no, but no. you can always switch up your garage beer of the week midway through but we're still we're still gonna roll with this one
2: yeah no uh, yeah i mean i've got i've got three of them here so i mean who knows
1: <laughs> well yeah and you know what? by the third one it's gonna taste great Uh, Joey, let's pass it on to you. Joey, what do you have for your Garage Beer of the Week?
3: Well, to keep my trend of fruity light beers, because that seems to be what I do every single week, (laughs) um, we have a... Also, I do love Nashville beers. Um, There's a lot more fun, like, random type of beers up in the liquor stores up here. Yes. Um, And so I got a a beer out of Frederick, uh, Maryland, called Flying Dog Tropical Bitch. it's (laughs) it's <laughs> a uh <laughs> no, no joke that's the name uh belgian ipa uh it's very uh light it's not like a uh, very bitter ipa uh it's got that uh you know that light belgian style taste to it um it's got guava and pineapple and tangerine and that is right up my alley so cheers to that nice okay all right yeah,
2: yeah i mean i'm I'm in, I'm in full summer beer mode like i'm done with the oh, scouts. Yeah. i'm done with the the you know the dark double IPAs. I'm uh, you know, I I, I want something refreshing now. Not not I mean, I'm also uh, shorts way too early guy. So I figured why not get into the summer beers. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: agree.
3: I mean it's it's May, so
1: right. But we, that's we fair. You, we don't judge you until you say you hate IPAs and then we judge the living hell out of you. <laughs> so I'm gonna bring it on to my beer of the week and we gave this brewery a shout out this week on our social media because I swung down there and took advantage of the best deal in Cleveland right now. But I went down to Southern Tier this week down in downtown Cleveland, and I took advantage of their Crowlers, any Crowler fill for $3.33. I have 10 32-ounce Crowlers, and I spent like 30 bucks. And it's really any beer, and I got some of their best ones, but my favorite one is called the Vanilla Wick. It is a milkshake IPA. It is hazy. It's sweet. It's juicy. It is absolutely incredible, and you cannot beat the deal. And I agree, no free advertising. But when you're giving away 32 ounce beers for three dollars and thirty three cents in downtown Cleveland to the people that are going through all this quarantine and 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 coronavirus nonsense, that gets you extra shouts out. So Southern Tier, right in downtown Cleveland. Uh, if you've not been down there, go check out the deal. It is incredible. And uh, if they've got the Vanilla Whip, I highly recommend it. So by the those way, are our
3: – those
2: Southern are our – oh, what did you say? Southern Tier, if you're listening, if you're listening, Southern Tier, contact myself, <laughs> Joey or Mike for any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: thegaragebeers at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, and that goes to any of you. You can contact us. Uh, if it's with anything negative, you can just address it to chat. Uh yeah.
2: Or just now, pretend you didn't even listen to the fucking show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's bring in, let's bring in, again, we're really excited about this. Uh, one of the best guys I know, uh, somebody that I, I have, been, have been fortunate to work with, and Chad has too, uh, out at WEOL doing high school football games and who has become just a really, really good friend of mine. Uh, he brings me grapes. Uh, or pizza from uh, from his bro's shop which is delicious uh, down in the Brunswick area uh, but we are super excited to have on uh, the, the Indians writer from Sports Illustrated we can't even just forget like your actual title Matt Lodi on the show and Lodi now we can actually now that we're past our garage beers we can kind of get into uh, just some of the stuff going on around the world and you know for a for a world without sports and for a world without, I don't know, really anything going on, uh, there's still a lot to talk about, right?
4: Yeah, you know, on a daily basis, uh, you know, right now anyway, at least with baseball is concerned, you know, it just seems like there's some news. Maybe it's not always the most, uh, you know, like you said, you used the word juicy a few minutes ago. It's not always the most juiciest news, but Nevertheless, there's news. And right now, a lot of it has to do, of course, with the owners and the players union trying to get together on all these proposals The from the documentation that was handed out on Saturday, a 67 page document. And, you know, I read through like half of that. Oh. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I've written a couple of times uh, over at SI about it, it, you you really know what's going to end up happening here is this is all going to come down to money. Um Pretty vocal last week in a column that actually ended up on the MLB page at SI.com about the fact that I'm 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 very much on the side of the players, and I know that that sounds very vague when you say that because you're like, how could you be on the side of a bunch of spoiled millionaires? Well, to me, the players had a deal in place in March. You know, they had handshaken on a deal with the owners. You know, this is what we're going to do. You know, when we come back, you know, this is the type of agreement we're going to have. And then now the owners, because of the fact that you know, hey, they're losing a lot of money right now, they want to change the the rules. They want to change the the you know what the agreement is. And I think that that's wrong. The owners should stick by what they said in March. Uh, everybody should get on the same page, and we hopefully will have some sort of baseball. I was talking with some guys today about that, some other reporters, and um, eventually, though, I think desperation is going to set in, and, and we're going to see baseball because. You know, when the owners aren't making any money and the players aren't making any money, um, that's going to hit the pocketbooks as if it hasn't hit it hard already. And I think we're eventually going to see these guys get on the field. You know what makes it real easy to take the side of a bunch of uh, quote unquote spoiled millionaires? Uh, What's that?
1: When their quarrel is with a bunch of greedy billionaires.
4: Yeah, and that's it. I mean, right now the players are putting it all on the line. They're the ones that are going to have to travel with the virus still in existence uh you know we don't know how predominantly i think it's safe to say that it is still in existence um they're the ones that are taking all the chances here i mean you know what if a guy like a, a i don't know like a, a carlos santana or a, a mike clevenger comes down with this virus and their career is over you know i, I mean they're the one that taking the chances in my opinion dealing with this situation, not the owners. And I think there needs more to be said about that instead of just, oh, well, the players they're spoiled because they, they're rich, you know, they're rich young guys. Well, Hey, they've worked to get to this point. And as I said before, they had a deal on the table in March, a deal that they're willing to accept today, but the owners want to change it. So, well,
1: and listen, uh, here's the other thing that I, that I think on that end, uh, you have such a a limited career as an athlete, right? You don't you don't have a you don't have a 35-year career as an athlete. A baseball player doesn't have uh you start working at 22 and you retire at 65 and you're making money that whole time. And I think I know the numbers are outrageous for athletes and they're making all these crazy millions of dollars, but I think they've also seen generations before of athletes as late as the 80s and early 90s that yeah that thought they were making all kinds of money and then inflation hits and the world keeps spinning and all of a sudden they're broke. And so you have, you have this limited finite amount of time to do this and to make this money and to earn this living. And, and if this game, if these games don't play and they don't make this money this year, that's one year off of that finite amount of time.
4: Yeah. And again, you're talking about guys that, you know, some of which, and we know it very well, and we're going to talk about it later you know, want to hit free agency sooner rather than later. Well, they better get better get this thing decided and get on the field so they can earn that service time. Otherwise, they're going to have to wait another year to get the free agency. And um, it, again, there, there's a lot on the line here. And I just think baseball is the one sport uh, that could really bring America kind of back together again a little bit after this whole coronavirus thing and the pandemic and everything. And I think that people would just feel better if they could just see a ball game, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I've got, even my mom who's 70, what, 75 years old tonight was telling me that, you know, that, that she would just feel better. If she could turn on the TV and see the Indians playing, not one of those games from 2016 or 2007 or whatever, but seeing a game today, even with no fans, I know that that sounds weird too, but just to see those guys on the field, there'll be a sense of normalcy to our country again. And I, I think that means a lot to people.
2: Now, Matt, yeah, I totally agree, Matt. I mean, I've been saying this, uh, you know, on the pod for a couple of weeks now. You know, as it, it, I can wait a year if I have to to go to the ballpark, but as long as some sort of sports get, gets back on TV, I'll be just fine with that. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to ask you, but I wanted to ask you uh, something came to mind because you mentioned desperation, uh, you know, it will set in and they'll get on the field, Matt. Do you think any part of it has to do with, reputation as well, because, you know, I, you know, I saw Tom Glavin say, you know, it's going to look bad on the players, whether, you know, even if they're hundred percent right in this situation, um, but, but, you know, given the current state, you know, of the economy and with how many people are out of jobs right now, it's going to look bad on the players if they don't get uh, on the field. Is, is that something you agree with? Or what are your thoughts on player reputation?
4: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me that the two guys that have been kind of vocal about the players right now, Tom Glavin and Mark Teixeira, were guys that, you know, were really able to take advantage of the influx of millionaires within baseball, the game of baseball. I mean, I think Tickshara made $172 million in his career. I mean, you know, and Glavin, I'm sure, is right behind him. I mean, I don't know his numbers offhand as far as what he but as one of the premier pitchers in the game, you know he he didn't make 50 bucks a week. I mean, let's put it that way. Um, you know, Chad, it's interesting because, as, as I've said before, to me, you know, the reason why I think it's desperation in some regard is because, um, you know, again, like Michael pointed out, it's a there's not you know, you don't have 20 years in this thing. You know, some guys play for three um, and, you know, want to take advantage of the time and the, and their peak athleticism that they can. And and I think that that's part of it, too. I, I think for the owners, um, the best bet is to is to find a way to facilitate and make sure that these guys are are playing as, you know, probably as early as, as July. Cause I think if you start pushing this thing into mid July and then maybe even into August and you try to have a baseball season with just two months, it's already going to feel awkward as it is. But if you try to do some sort of wacky two month tournament or something like that, I I don't think people are going to buy it. I think if you start in July and you play three months, I think that's a lot more feasible and, and it makes a lot more sense been trying to do some sort of weird, you know, formatted tournament with, you know, teams flying all over the country, just do the right thing, get on the field July 4th. I mean, that's what everybody wants to see. And I think that would be such a huge boost to our economy. And I think it would be a huge boost to just morale in America that I, I think that people would enjoy that. And, and it makes sense. It just makes sense from a fiscal standpoint, You can have your two weeks of spring training, you know, two as they're calling it in June, and get on the field in early July. And and you could still have three months. That's pretty sustainable. It's an 82-game schedule. That's half the season. It's not 164, but it's enough for me to know if a team is good or not.
1: Man, I I, it's almost better than the normal baseball season. uh, 162 games is is absurd. Way too and, and baseball. You you always hear about the problem they have with attendance and, and listen. Baseball makes a boatload of money. If you look at the amount of money that baseball makes, it's more than the other leagues because of the sheer number of games that they have. But right. It's like they it's like they completely ignore all the laws of supply and demand, and then they wonder why the attendance suffers. Well, I'm not buying seats. I, I like I love going down to games. You couldn't you couldn't hand me 81 games and tell me to go to them. I can't go to 81 baseball games at home. Right. So. It's something I laughed about early on, but but you know if, if they really were to take a hard look at, at what's going on, you know there's a chance this could this could open their eyes to, hey maybe maybe we're a little overboard on, on what we're trying to do here and uh, and and maybe they kind of get back into that. Uh, maybe we shrink down this season, maybe it helps save baseball like it's, it's funny to me, but can coronavirus save baseball?
4: Well, I've always, I've always, you know, kind of said that I felt like baseball should be take two weeks off at the beginning of the season and two weeks off at the end of the season. I, I think that was, that was an idea that I've had for a long time. Number one, you, you take away a lot of those weather issues in the months. Now they're playing in really March and April. You no, know, not all of them, but you're taking away at least some of those East coast uh, weather issues. And then the end of the season, now you're starting, especially if you're playing on the East Coast in places like Boston and New York and, and even hopefully Cleveland, you're getting into cold weather issues. Um, everybody tends to forget, you know, what it was like here in 2007 when the Indians played, or I'm sorry, not 2007, 1997 rather, when the Indians played the Marlins in the World Series. Oh, we know. you know, it was, it was crazy that, you know, Oral Hershiser is out there pitching the um, And everybody forgets because 2016, when the Indians hosted four games here against the Cubs, it was just phenomenal weather. You couldn't right. add weather for those four baseball games. Yes, we did have rain at, uh, at the onset of game two, but, and of course, everybody remembers the delay in game seven. Oh, but don't say it. Don't say that. Don't even it, bring that up. But realistically, Mike, they, the, the weather was so good in six, forget about how bad it was in 97. So, you know, I, I just think 162 is way too many. I agree with you on that. Um, if you think about it, it's kind of awkward how like basketball and hockey are almost exactly half of the games that baseball plays. Um, and I think that's more than enough. I really oh, do. Yeah. Problem is, you know, now you're locked in just like with football. You're locked into one sixty two because, you know, it's what the owners it's what the owners expect. And, and you're never going to take less games away. I just don't. Unfortunately, I just don't see it. I have nothing else. Um, they're going to try to do these, these kind of quirky little things like they were going to do this year and start the year in early, or I should say not early, but in late March, um, to try to give these guys more days off and all this other type of stuff and, you know, travel days and everything like that. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I know what it's like having to cover a, a baseball team. I can't even imagine, um, you know, the mental and the physical tolls it takes on a person I don't care if you're 26 or if you're 66, it's, it's a lot to ask somebody to play 162 games or say play 150 or whatever it is. And then the travel involved and everything like that. And, you know, again, I know a lot of people are, are not real happy a lot of times with the players in terms of their compensation, but part of the reason they get compensated for that is because of the amount of stuff that they have to go through in a regular season, you know, and uh, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, as I kept saying, I, that 67-page document that was handed out Saturday to the players' union, I, I hope that they're going through it, and I'm sure they are, with, uh, with a fine tooth comb because I think there's a lot of good things in there uh, that will avoid these guys getting sick. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I think that they've got to figure out the money thing quickly because if it drags on, it's really going to be a bad look for baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have... Uh, it- You know, it was funny you mentioned, Mike, you said maybe save baseball, but it, you know, what incentive would the owners have to even reduce a season? I mean, baseball made $10 billion last year despite lower attendance numbers. Why would, why would the owners even think about reducing a season?
4: No, they won't. And that, that's the whole point. And, you know, you have your anomalies, places like Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, uh, Philadelphia, um, St. Louis, Uh, you know, places like that, that always, always, always New York, of course, that are always going to draw really well. Um, You know, obviously we had it in Cleveland back in the mid nineties, but you know, we're, we're obviously in a different, uh, different time now than we were back in those mid nineties. And we'll never see that again. I mean, that was, that was as Bob DiBiase always tells me, that was the quote unquote perfect storm. You know, the Browns didn't exist. Uh, The Cavaliers were, uh, you know, nothing special. And, you know, the Indians were the best team in the league and you had a brand new ballpark in downtown that wasn't just a place to go. It was the place to go. Um, So you're never going to see a streak like that again. I mean, you know, obviously after the 2016 season, there was an upswing in season tickets because, you know, this team had made the World Series and everybody, you know, really loved that, you know, time of, you know, time of excitement. And they, of course, should have won that World Series, but, you know, failed to do so. so. uh, now, of course, it's been scaled back a little bit because they've, they haven't gotten back. And I think people are a little bit spoiled by the success of that franchise. So, you know, I, yeah, the, there will never be a time, I think, unfortunately, guys, where you're going to say, well, baseball is going to go from 162 down to 140. It should, but it just won't happen because, again, the owners are just making too much money. And, you know, rightfully so. That's that's what they do. They're they're in this thing to make money and. Um, you know, uh, somebody within the Indians organization told me at, a couple of weeks ago, he said, uh, tell me the last time a billionaire was happy losing money. Uh, it never happened you know? So <laughs> back on the field. And, and I really do think it's going to be probably sometime in the next six, seven weeks,
3: you know, and even past the money aspect, uh, you know, teams are built around having this formation that sustains them for these 162 games. When you talk about shortening a season, there's more risks that you can take with maybe having less starting pitching, maybe moving some of your four and five starters to the bullpen to give you some more depth there. But past that, um, obviously with this season that's going to be short, um, there was that proposal about the NL picking up the DH for the season. Um, how do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is that something that gives the AL an unfair advantage? If that's something that they follow through with?
4: Well, not really, because I think, you know, the National League is going to just have to adjust a little bit. And actually, I was reading an article on SI Today about that in terms of Tom Perducci wrote a, a pretty good piece about, you know, how the National League is going to do this. Are they going to just, you know, our team's going to get one designated player, kind of like what the Ameri- you know, a lot of American League teams do. Like the Indians come to mind right away with a guy like either Carlos Santana or Fran Mel Reyes being the DH almost full time. Um, or are they going to rotate, you know, and let, you know, different guys take their crack at the DH spot. You know, I, some people, you know, like the Bob Costas of the world. I, I do get it that, you know, Oh, it's a, it's a tradition and you know, blah, blah. blah. But I mean, I don't know, guys, I'm just not into seeing a guy coming up. Who's batting. oh sixty. 60. I, I don't I, get
2: right
4: it. I think it's kind of silly. And I know that, you know, again, that you think, well, this is a game of, you know, uh strategy and, you know, when do you pinch hit and all this other stuff? I don't, I don't care about that. I want to see, you know, th- baseball was saved when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa each hit 60 plus home runs or 70 or what ended with. It didn't get saved when a, a pitcher threw um or a pitcher went 20 and four, you know, in other words, offense is the name of the game home runs. You know, there's a, there's a reason why there's a saying chicks dig the long ball, you know, right. they don't, <laughs> the, the complete game shutout, you know, I mean, no offense. It's just how it is. Um, we're a society in football, in basketball, in baseball, even in hockey, we want points. We want goals. We want, you know, and, and that's just how it is. I mean, we want more. So, you know, I think in baseball now, yeah, I do love the occasional three to one game, but for the most part, you know, a six to five, a seven to six, those are exciting games. And I think that, you know, when you look at it, I, I think that the, 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 the National League will, will adjust. I mean, it's not going to take very long, Um, And I think it's going to help pitchers too. I mean, imagine in the national league, you know, you got a guy pitching a pretty good game and all of a sudden it's a score, you know, say it's a scoreless game and you get into the sixth inning, you're not thinking about pitch hitting for the guy. Like you would as if he was hitting, you know, in that inning, that player gets a walk or gets a hit or whatever, you know, it just, I think it makes sense. And at least for this year, but you know, as Verducci's pointed out on our site and we've, I've heard in other places, don't be surprised if that universal DH thing sticks around. I, I think there's a good chance that if the national league embraces it, like I think they should, it could, it could last a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've always said baseball is way more entertaining. Like I'm a big advocate of allowing performance enhancing drugs. in baseball, <laughs> <laughs> Just because baseball I thought was way more entertaining when guys are hitting 600 foot moon shots. And and you see him hit the scoreboard like McGuire was doing back in the day or like Sosa was, I mean, people were glued to their TVs during that home run race, Matt.
4: Right. No, you're right. And again, as I said earlier, you know, MLB network has covered it extensively and I've seen it in other places. I mean, that kind of saved the game. I mean, especially after the strike year of 94, I mean, it really bought a lot of fans back and then it bought a very diverse fan base back because of Sosa's, uh, you know, ethnic background. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I just think that if the national league was smart about it, they would embrace that, you know, universal DH for at least this year and see if they like it. You know, you could be the most staunch national league fan in terms of, you know, pitchers got a hit and all this other stuff. You may be surprised how much you like it once they start doing it. It may, you know, you may change your mind very quickly on that. On the other hand, you know, maybe it'll be a flop in the NL and they'll go right back to their pitchers hitting 089 next year and, uh, you know, one for 45 or something like that, which I, I've just never understood. I've, I'm sorry. I've just never gotten why anybody would want to see that.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your essential. Not your nine spot is essentially an automatic out. Like why, why, why yeah. would you, do, why would, why would you risk uh why would you risk that? What and and
4: certainly garbage. Oh, Bartolo Colon in a home run. Yeah. Okay. Well, so did Burba and CC Sabathia once too. I mean, anybody, at that level can get, you know, can get a meatball and take out of the yard once in a, once in a great while. But I bet if you look at Bartolo Colon's career hitting statistics, they're, you know, not anything to write home about.
1: So let's transition. Although I could sit here and talk to you about Bartolo Colon all day. Yeah. Like the time, the time I saw him at Westgate mall when he pitched for the Indians and he had two, like a double stack of cheeseburgers sitting in front of him (laughs) <laughs> and his rear end was so big, he was sitting on two chairs.
2: <laughs> I was just about to say, were you standing behind him in the uh, Sakio japan chicken teriyaki line? And
1: I was more of a Mark Pies guy. Uh, <laughs> but I want to transition. I want to give you a plug here, Matt, because you've got a, a pretty cool thing coming out for Sports <laughs> Illustrated uh, at the end of the week, right? Uh, so I, I believe you did a, an Indians roundtable. And yeah, we- uh, Indians fans aren't going to like the subject of well, the Indians roundtable, Uh, And I'm going to give you my thoughts on it because I've got some thoughts on it. But uh, basically, uh, and and make sure I'm getting this right, the premise is you go around the table and ask, when is Francisco Lindor
4: going to be traded and to who? Right. Yeah. I think we should do that here. Well, you know. I think it's the ongoing saga and it's the most uh, engaging saga that I've had on the site since we launched back in December, any, anything that to do with Francisco Lindor and our, and our, and our business tends to get clicks. And, and, you know, last week there was a story about the Tampa Bay Rays, maybe being a dark horse. Uh, there's been talk about the Yankees, of course, because why not? Because they're the Yankees. Um, you know, it just seems like, couple of weeks something leaks out about you know Francisco Lindor and you know the Indians are in such a difficult position right now because they they know the writing is on the wall and you know Keith Law baseball author came out on a local radio show a couple of weeks ago and just said Lindor is not coming back he is not going to even engage in conversation with the Indians at this point which I think is kind of a a real interesting tidbit to this whole thing and you know if the Indians get shafted on this whole deal their best bet is to get rid of him as soon as they can, in my opinion, and to get the best offer. That's just how I look at it. I know a lot of people don't think that way, but um, you know, this is like pulling off a band aid, guys, uh, a fresh band bandaid. Um, you're going to rip some hairs out, but you're going to have to do it at some point. And unfortunately for the Indians, it's not going to be good when they do it because as you know, the fans are going to turn and I, I just don't know any other way out of the situation
2: yeah i told totally, i'm totally in that boat with you Lodi. Uh, i i've always said if you you know if you're not going to be able to resign him his value is going to be much higher this year than it's going to be next year so uh, i mean why why would you just why wouldn't you just trade him now so you can get the best package available
4: yeah i so i think go ahead mike sorry i was
1: going to say i think i think we should i think we should play around with your round table uh, with with the garage beers guys here And I don't know if you're willing to share your stance on it uh, or if we should wait until your article drops. Maybe we should wait until your article drops.
4: Yeah, I have no problem. Again, the the article will be out on Friday on the national page at si.com slash MLB. Um, My stance is trade them as soon as you can. I I just think, as I said, this is like a band-aid that's got to get ripped off. Um, I know that that puts the Indians in a lot of, you know, sort of disarray for the season because they really don't have anybody ready to play shortstop on a full-time basis, unless they make a trade with a team that was willing to give them a shortstop who's ready to play at a full-time basis. Um, but, you know, I don't know. The problem that I'm having with this whole thing, though, is that the Indians are up against the wall because teams know that they eventually will have to trade him. And I think the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to get the even close to equal value. You're not going to get equal value. You're just not. Um, this isn't like a last year thing when they traded Trevor Bauer and got, you know, two very good outfielders. One of which is probably going to be a guy who can potentially hit 40 or 50 home runs this year, yeah. this year, but in a full season and brand Melrick um, I think you trade him and you trade him now. And I think, I, you know, as far as where, you know, God, I'd, I'd love to revisit the Dodgers situation and see if they're, you know, willing to part with some of those top guys, um, you know, I, I think there's teams out there like the Padres that are a dark horse. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I want him to go to the National League because you don't want to ever see him again. This is like dumping a girlfriend. You don't want to see him again. You know, <laughs> American League, you have got to go, you know, west or east because you're not going to trade him within the division. And frankly, nobody really is in a position to want him in the division. So I, I guess a team like Tampa would be interesting. Um, I think out west, a team like Texas, they usually jump into these forays. They did it with Kluber back in January. So, you know, where he goes, i be I got to be perfectly honest. I haven't decided that part of my opinion yet on this whole thing, but I, I think if, I think the Reds, the Padres, the Dodgers, I think one of those three teams would be great uh, because as I said, then you'd never really have to see him again.
2: Now, Matt, when you've just, when you, you know, uh, obviously you haven't decided where you think he should go, but as far as, value that in return goes you know it it, at this point where the indians are at uh, you know this i i mean i think they should reach for the stars but at the same time what type of package do you think is reasonable in return for lindor are we talking just strictly top prospects maybe some mlb ready guys like what type of package would you expect for the indians to get in return for him
4: i think if you can get four players um two of which would be very top prospects i'm talking top Ten to twelve, um, I would be willing to take a major league ready player as far as maybe somebody who's already playing per se. If again that person's an infielder who can help out at the shortstop spot, that would be great. And then a, a my mi- and then a, a low level minor leaguer, I, I think, is appropriate. I think four for one is about as fair, roughly as you're going to get. But I think the key, of course. And everybody would talk about it. Let's go back real quick. I wrote an article on the Bartolo Cologne trade a couple of weeks ago. Um, look at what they got for him. You know, Grady Sizemore. Uh, oh, yeah. High-level prospect. Cliff Lee was a mid level prospect at the time. A guy by the name of Lee Stevens who was already playing in the uh, first base and was just the kind of a throw-in. But, again, he was a guy who had major experience. So there's three guys right there. Uh, oh, and Brandon Phillips and right of course Brandon Phillips so there's two you got your two high level prospects in Sizemore and uh, Sizemore and Phillips you got your mid level prospect in Lee and you got your major league guy in Lee Stevens who you know played the rest of the year and was gone so i think that type of deal would be amazing if the Indians could pull it off all
1: right Joey so let's do this round table discussion if what do you think should happen? When should the Indians trade Francisco Lindor? And who do you think they should trade him to?
3: I feel like they've missed a number of windows to already trade it. So, I i mean, I'm, I'm guessing that the reason that they're not is what they're looking for just isn't there. Um, and potentially they have like maybe, you know, who knows, like two or three interested buyers that are looking at him right now and maybe their hopes are when it gets a little closer to down the wire, uh, maybe they can try to push for some money that they're not getting right now. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of on the same side as you, man. I mean, I think the sooner the better, uh, there's really no point in keeping him right now. I mean, we were almost selling last year at the deadline, if I remember correctly. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep him. Um, Uh, yeah, I mean, I would hate to see him anywhere in the American league. Um, I could see him, uh, you know, not anywhere in the central (laughs) or anywhere playing the Indians anytime soon. Uh, I think that'd be a real kick in the throat to the fans. But I, I think if, if you're, if you're a Cleveland fan and you're looking and you're mad about this Francisco Lindor trade, I think you gotta be a little more frustrated with the organization as a whole. Um, Because, the way that the Indians are built, they're not built to sign these massive deals like Francisco Lentor. They're really looking at, you know, how can we develop through our farm system? And can we hit our window of success while our prospects are about to peak? And it didn't happen. It almost happened with Fran- Frankie when 2016, but, uh, you know, I, I think when they, when they get a player that gets too good, it's, it's not in their uh, business model to sign them. Uh, and that's just kind of the nature of being a Browns or a Indians fan.
4: Let me just say this real quick before Mike, you, and I know you're dying to get in on this, but let me, <laughs> he, oh hated, Chad, he hated that. He hated that. Let <laughs> me ask you this. When is a player who has made $300 million or more ever worked out for a team? I mean,
3: Rare, I rarely, and it also depends on, I guess the team specifically in the market size of the team. I mean, you got the Yankees who can sign whoever they want to, um, but you look at the angels and Mike Trout. I mean, who knows if they're ever going to work out, they're going to be pretty strapped and you're looking at uh, the Phillies and Bryce Harper. I mean, who, I, what has he got? Like a 15 year deal? Like he's not going to, you know, 12 years, they're going to be 12
4: years. Yeah. And look at, and look at, Oh, by the way, the team that he left won the world <laughs> series.
3: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
4: But okay all right that's
1: a perfect storm though that's all of a sudden he leaves and then all of a sudden there's Juan Soto that is the best young player in baseball and Anthony Rendon who all of a sudden is the best third baseman in baseball all, all of a sudden you know like perfect storm but I'm not I'm not getting worked up about this yet I'm waiting my turn I'm gonna let Chad go and see what Chad's thoughts are when should they trade him I know you said you think as soon as possible too what do you think
2: about who should they trade them to? Who should they trade them to? Yeah, man, uh, I I I think they need. I don't know any team in specific. You know, maybe the Dodgers, like Matt said, um, but someone who is definitely rich in prospects. Um, you know, especially. Uh, in the infield, um, you know, because you're going to need to find someone. I don't think there's anybody in the system right now that's going to be able to come up and replace Lindor. So, you know, I, I think you need to find a prospect-rich team that is willing to trade for Lindor and, you, you know, might be willing to give you back a shortstop because, uh, it, you know, it's one of the most important positions on the field. And, um, you know, if, if you lose Lindor... Uh, And for nothing, and you just let him go to free agency, it's a huge mistake, And that's why I think you need to trade him now and this year. Uh, You know, I know people talk about the window of contention, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of different factors in it where the Indians have only so much time. And I think that window is shutting because, you know, like Matt said, the writing is on the wall. And they're going to have to eventually trade Lindor. I mean, you're not going to let them go for nothing. So yeah, I I, I think it's should trade him as soon as possible to the most prospect rich team that you can find I mean, I guess that's where I, where I stand.
1: So I'm going to, before I go crazy, Matt, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to bring up the same question that I asked Mike Chico Borman a few weeks ago, while I'm still calm. Uh, and his response to me was that I should be mad at baseball. And I agree with him and I, and I am. Jay Crawford said the same thing to you. And he said, I should be mad at baseball. And I am. And I agree with that. But uh, what's the point that Matt? Matt, what's the point, right? The Indians aren't going to go out and sign Bryce Harper or, or, uh, Manny Machado or Mike Trout or, uh, uh, any of these big name free agents, they're never going to go out and do that. that. That Edwin Encarnacion deal is about as big of a deal as you're going to see them make. So you're not bringing in top level players, nor are you, you might do that at the trade deadline for a rental and then you're going to lose them the next year. But at no point are you going to have one of those top level players come from another team to here. Okay. So we've decided that. So as Joey said before, now we've decided that we're going to build this team through the farm system, right? And you've got to build through the farm system. What the hell is the point when you finally hit in your farm system and you can't keep your player? You, he's, 20, he's, he's in his mid-20s and he's just hitting his prime. And he's one of the best players. He is literally the biggest face of this team since Jim Tomey. Maybe Sizemore before he got hurt.
4: I was going to say Sizemore, yeah.
1: He, he's the biggest face of the team. And, and What? Oh, sorry. Well, now we can't keep him either. What's the point? What's the point of the Indians or the brewers or there's no point.
4: Well, but, but again, I'll stop you there. The brewers, um, the Royals, um, the nationals, you know, all these teams are, are, you know, are good examples of what you can do if you build around it being a team and not one specific player, because as I said, um, you know, you pointed out a guy like Anthony Rendon, but you know, the Indians can go back to 2016, and say, Hey, Jason Kipnis had a great year. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Indians have this like philosophy of that, you know, they have tried. And I looked up some of the numbers today, a guy like Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez is only 27 and they've control right. until 2023. I mean, team control, um, you know, Roberto Perez is, you know, he'll be 31 when his contract runs out. In other words, you know, be, just because they haven't been able to spend three hundred million dollars on one player does not mean that they haven't gone out and tried. First of all, they did try with Lindor. Um, you know, they offered him over a hundred million, and he said no, which you know is his discretion to do that. But they have gone out and signed players. Carrasco, uh, you know, Kipnis obviously was here for a number of years. Um, you know, way back in the day, you got guys like Comey and Lofton, and you know, Alomar that all got great deals. You know, so I think this team just has to be fiscally smart. And, you know, when you say what's the point, well, the point is, is, again, I can go back to point to 2016. This team had, you know, great starting pitching. Unfortunately, a lot of it was banged up by the time they got to the World Series. And they had a couple of guys on offense, Santana, Kipnis, Napoli. um, You know, Rajay Davis had a big year. He led the American League in steals in 16 that caught fire at the right time and and took this team to the brink of winning a title. Um, I don't think the window's closed. I think as long as that pitching staff is as good as I think it can be, I I think you've got an opportunity and you've got a chance here. Um, I just think that, you know, my concern has been the same thing the last two years and that is who's going to play in the outfield. And are those three players going to be a liability or are they going to be somebody that can contribute like we saw Oscar Mercado do a year ago? So no, I'm not ruling to throw in the towel here because I still think that this team is very good, and I still think that starting pitching is very good, and I, I think that they're rich in that, and that's why they were able to trade Trevor Bauer last year and Corey Kluber this year because they're confident that guys like Clevenger, Bieber, Carrasco, Savali, and Plesak are guys that can get the job done in a you know in a situation.
1: Yeah, I just I uh, especially with where the Indians payroll is at this point. Uh, to, to say that you can't afford Francisco Lindor, you could pay Francisco Lindor what he wants and, and be at last year's payroll.
4: Yeah, but you also have to understand if you give him all that money, like they were almost willing, like they basically were willing to do with Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez, by the way, everybody seems to forget about those two deals and they were left yeah. on both of them. If you give Francisco Lindor that money, are you going to able to successfully and competitively build around him with other young players? Or is it just going to be the Francisco Lindor show? Because the last time I checked, you can't win a World Series with one guy. You just can't. I mean, you've got to have a competitive balance within your organization, and you can't have one guy making thirty million and the other nine or eight in your starting lineup making a combined, you know, seventy million. It just can't. It can't work like that. And again, they could do that. They could do that right now. Yeah, th- they could do that right now. And, and, and have a,
1: a better team with Francisco Lindor than without him. They could do that right now, and they would
4: be better with him than without him. Because he is what Terry Francona told us a while ago or talked about a while ago. The Indians are the only team in the division that have not bottomed out in the last decade, basically. I think that's right. Or at least the last, you know, since Francona got there in 2013. They've never bottomed out. I mean, I think they had one year where they finished under 500. But really, when you I'm talking about, you know, what the Tigers did a year ago, winning, what do they win, 50, 60 games, whatever it was. So, I, to me, it's a, it's a question of, do you go for broke, um, which never really happened with this current Tigers team? They, I mean, they, they did back in the mid-2000s, but never won a World Series, and now they're paying for it. Or do you try to stay competitively balanced within the division that you're in? knowing you'll have to beat the likes of the twins, the Royals, the white Sox, and the tigers. And, you know, the Indians, I think have done a very admirable job of doing that. You know, they've, they've done that. They've been in the race every year. I mean, you know, last year you go into the last 10 games of the season and you're in the race. I mean, you win 90 or what was it? 93 games or whatever it was. And, you know, to me, almost any other year in, in baseball, you're making a postseason with that record. Um, and now listen, I think the Indians have been good. I
1: think they've been very fortunate in some things in that they've let some players go and other players have just kind of stepped in. But the reason they've been competitive is because Francisco Lindor is because of Jose Ramirez and Corey Kluber and these guys, which again, I don't care about them trading Corey Kluber. He's kind of getting towards the end anyways, but the reason they've been good is because they've developed these guys and these have been the guys that have made them good. And to just, work under this assumption that Francisco Lindor is going to walk away from the team and you're still going to be competitive is to me, you brought up the pitching staff. Um, Bieber, yes. Clevenger, yes. The rest of the pitching staff is still a question. We act like Zach Plesac is just going to be good again. We act like Aaron Savale is just going to be good again. There's so many questions with the pitching staff. There's questions with the bullpen. There's questions that I think they're built to be competitive. I don't want to be negative about them. But to just act like we can still take Francisco Lindor off this team and remain competitive to me is, is ludicrous. And, and you know what, to be honest with you, um, we know how this goes. The Indians have experienced this. Terry Francona isn't going to be around forever. Right. And, and I think he's a big reason for their success. I love Terry Francona. They ain't going to be around forever. So, so you're going to, the Indians have done this before. Really good years, 2007. Awesome. Uh, 2008, you bottom out a little bit. 2006, you were gaining, but then you totally bottom out. Mid market teams are going to bottom out. It happens to all of them. So people ask this question a lot Would you you have them be in the same position as the Tigers? Right. You gave a massive contract to Miguel Cabrera. Yes, I would do that. And you know what? If that means in eight years, uh, if if that means in eight years, we might bottom out. Okay, because we're probably going to bottom out anyways. And the Tigers had every opportunity with an amazing team to win the world series. They made a couple world series and they just didn't get the job done. But, but to act like, Oh, Francisco can go. And and to act like they can't afford him is nonsense.
4: Well, again, I, I'm not somebody who likes to spend other people's money. Uh, I don't know what Paul Dolan, what Larry Dolan, I don't know where their money is at. I'm not one to sit here and, and, you know, like what you're saying and saying, Oh, they can afford it. They can afford. I don't know that. I really don't know that. Like, I know that the indications are maybe that they can afford it, but again, um, they have to be fiscally sound and smart when it comes to running this baseball team. And, you know, I, I never tell anybody how to spend their money, but the numbers attendance wise do not tell me that this organization, you know, when it talks about, you know, a $30 million player, one player at $30 million or a 10 year, $300 million contract is going to work. It just, I just don't know if it's going to work. Then there's the other side of this. And I brought it up earlier about being left at the altar. What's to say the Indians don't let Francisco go free agency and Francisco just does what he supposedly said. And that is, I don't care what software I'm not coming back. Um, there's part of me that believes what Keith law had to say about that. I mean, you know, he was already offered over a hundred million dollars two years ago and turned it down. Um, You know, there's part of me that believes that he does not want to come back here for whatever reason, he might have a myriad of reasons. I don't know. Um, You know, he might not like something within the organization. He never has told us about it, but you know, those were awfully strong accusations by Keith law to say that Lindor wants to go free agency. And if that's the case, he will. Yes, come I agree.
1: That's all there is to it. If if he wants to leave, if he's made that known to the organization, that's different. You know, that's I, I, if he's made it known to the organization that he's going to leave, he's not going to resign a free agency. There's no chance. Okay, trade it. But
4: but I might get it. But
1: but 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 how many? Here's the other thing. How many tickets would they sell
4: tomorrow if they resign Francisco Lindor? I don't think as many as you think. I really. I think they would. I don't think so.
2: I mean, why though, why though, Mike, like, like, because it shows,
1: it shows, it it, it restores faith in a fan base that has no faith.
2: But the thing is, Mike, they've had Francisco for the past, what, seven, eight years, and it hasn't really increased ticket sales that much. Why, what, uh, what, what would guarantee that?
4: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's one of the most dynamic young players along with guys like Clevenger and Jose Ramirez. I mean, Jose Ramirez two years ago when he hit 39 home runs was in a home run race. Nobody cared. Nobody, nobody bought a ticket for that. Um, people don't buy tickets for, for, for that reason. I don't think, I think they buy tickets because it's an experience. It's the place to be. Um, there's fireworks tonight. There's a bobblehead tomorrow. There's a free, uh, dollar hot dogs on Saturday, whatever it is, but they're not buying tickets because Francisco Lindor is going to run out and play shortstop. I don't think now, sure you're going to have a minority of fans that may say that. And they'll be like, if they sign Lindor, I'd buy season tickets tomorrow. But, I saw this back in in a different light, what, uh, 22 years ago with Sean Kemp when the Cavaliers traded for him. They got a ton of season tickets the next day after they they traded for Sean Kemp. And then when Sean Kemp flamed out, all those people went away. And, you know, a lot of them went before he flamed out. So it was kind of like, you know, with Lindor, it's like, I don't think the organization is going to see as big of a thing, as big of an upkick as you think in season tickets or in tickets in general. Uh, just because you know Francisco Lindor would be here,
2: I, oh, man.
1: I don't think it's so much about Francisco Lindor. I think it's about the act of signing him. It's about it's about the act of showing we will do this. We will keep literally the most popular player we have had again since Brady Sizemore before he got hurt. Like uh, he is he is a decade to two decade type, and and, and he's better than Brady Sizemore. He's more popular than Brady Sizemore. It shows a faith that we're going to do this. And that does sell tickets.
4: But why wasn't there an upkick in season tickets when they tried to sign Tony or when they tried to sign Manny Ramirez? They didn't didn't sign him. Faith? I mean. Well, they didn't sign him, though. I mean, like, uh, I mean. They didn't try. And it wasn't because. Well, they were the fluffer in both of those deals. They were right there. I mean, Manny Ramirez. I mean, the Scott Boris situation, that that ought to be a 30 for 30. You know, the Manny. Yeah because that was incredible how that all played out. And then the Jim Tomey thing, you know, he was getting so much slack from the players union to take a better deal elsewhere, you know, reportedly, you know, he wanted to stay in Cleveland, but you know, again, I I think uh, people forget about that. And then of course, you know, you brought up earlier about Edwin and Carcion. I mean, the Indians, I mean, they went all in, in 2017 and what did it get them? It got them a first round exit after they were up 2-0 against the Yankees. And then they they kind of did the same in 18. And what did it get them? It got them a first-round exit to the Astros. So sometimes it's also on the players, too, here, you know, to, you know, perform in the postseason, you know, when they had the opportunities. I mean, I think we're talking an t- entirely different ball game if they would have won it all in 16. Totally different ball. But they didn't. So now they're in this rock and hard spot of staying competitive, trying to bring players in. And, you know, guys like Domingo Santana and Cesar Hernandez and players like that, I mean, again, you got to ask yourself, what is more important to you, winning or having superstars? And, you know, I know that there can be both, but for the Indians, I think they put the emphasis on winning and they're doing it their way, which is to build what what, uh, what, what was said earlier, build within the farm system and hope for those players to catch, catch fire right at the right time yeah. before they leave. I'm sorry. I said, yeah. You, you Hopefully, they catch fire before they leave. Right, like they did in Sixteen. I mean, that was exactly right. I mean, look at sixteen. Mike Napoli, thirty-four home runs. Uh, you know, again, Kipnis had the year of his, uh, you know, probably his best, you know, career year that year. Um, you know, they had no catcher, but Roberto Perez stepped up and hit four home runs in the postseason. You know, the the pitching staff. You know, guys like Ryan Merritt who aren't even around anymore pitching in an ALCS. I mean. Just like in the NFL, when a team gets hot in December, just like in the NBA, when a team gets hot in April, it's it's you know you're trying to build for that postseason. And the Indians, I think, are built for it, uh, especially with the pitching. I do think the pitching is important. Uh, we saw them not have pitching back in the '90s, and it didn't pay off, even though they had all that hitting. And I think now it's almost just the opposite. The hitting isn't so great, but they've got a pitching staff that I think with Clevenger at least with the first three guys. I think you got to give it up for Carrasco too. You know, albeit hopefully him being healthy will be a huge key, but I think Clevenger, Bieber, and Carrasco, have, uh, that they can get it done. And I think those are three very good starting pitchers.
2: Well, first, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was Sean Kemp. I thought it was Bobby Sura that really uh, got <laughs> season tickets. Uh, maybe Francisco Lindor needs to post some pictures with a coffee cup. Right, uh, strategically placed to maybe get a second season ticket. No, but really. Uh, I, I, I had a couple of things. It, you know, it's just mind-boggling to me. Like, it, you know, Chris Antonetti and, and Mike Turnoff have to just be spinning their wheels and just have so much uh, headache medication in there year by year, and having to try to run this organization, hoping to catch lightning in a bottle year by year by year, and just constantly having to put rat pull rabbits out of their hats. Uh, you know, but the thing it, my my question to you, Matt, is, you know, we talked about building through their farm system. Right. And the Indians have to hope that these guys catch fire at the right time. And then if they want to sign them long term, they, they have to be willing to take hometown discounts. So Mike brought up the point that, you know, it, you know, France, they could afford Francisco Indoor now at 30 million dollars a year. Right. Or, or whatever. He, he, he seems to think that they could afford him. Well, why couldn't my question is, why couldn't they do that? And then still, if you're going to be if you're going to be cheap in all other aspects of your team, and, and hoping that you're building through the farm, why couldn't that just that that just still be the plan? Like, why why couldn't they just have you know hope that these prospects catch fire?
4: Well, because again, you can't have Francisco Lindor and eight minor leaguers. I mean, you have guys already under contract. You know, Santana, sixteen and million. Um, you know, Ramirez is, is due to make I think seven million next year. Um, With a team option, Uh, Cesar Hernandez six million. I mean, what you're saying, what you're saying basically is okay. Bring in you know Lindor at thirty million, and then these other guys that are prospects. I mean, right now, if you brought in Nolan Jones and Tristan McKenzie and players of that elk, you're you're going to be terrible. You're not They're not ready yet. You know what I mean? So you've got to still have a major league roster that you know can can be competitive. You know, and and that goes in saying. I mean, I know guys like. You know, you think of guys in that 16 team, like Tyler Naquin, um, you know, Lonnie Chisenhall, you know, Rajay Davis, Coco Crisp, who they got from the open in in late August. But realistically, they still had a number of other good players, like Napoli, who had a great year, even though he only hit 240, had 34 homers over 100. (laughs) Kipnis had a great year. Um, You know, uh, uh, obviously Lindor hit 301 that year in 16, and then Jose Ramirez, had his real coming out party that year. So, you know, I see what you're saying about, you know, the, the, what I've said before about the minor league guys catching fire, but they've got to make it to the majors first. And hopefully once they get there, they can, at that point is when they really need to get fire. Oh, yeah. It takes a special type of coach to be able to do that. Um, You know, and, and the, those that we're seeing in some of these, in some different aspects of sports that we've seen now for the last couple of decades is, is unbelievable to me. You know, you say, Oh, how did the players get away with that? Well, sometimes it's the organization. Sometimes it's the head coach, you know, sometimes it's, it's, is an organization functional or dysfunctional. Um, I think at that point, the bulls were so functional because, you know, even though that they look like a dysfunctional team, to me, they were just the opposite. They were a well-oiled machine and Rodman was a spoke in the wheel. He really, um, would they have lost? No, I, I don't think that would have happened. I think Jordan would have lifted him to win it, winning a title anyway. But you're right. I mean, Phil Jackson, uh, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And, you know, he's going to go down as one of the greatest, you know, NBA head coaches ever. Um, deserves a lot of credit. But, I mean, you're seeing it in other sports, too. You see it, you know, I remember when the Indians, you know, years ago, not to circle back to them right this moment, but I have to you know Milton <laughs> another one Eric Wedge could not manage him you know so uh you know in the NFL how about Antonio Brown i mean somehow some way he had a couple great years in pittsburgh and now he can't even play in a place like new england so uh, you know supposedly the most well-oiled machine in the NFL so you know, coaches deserve credit when they're able to corral the players in and keep them under wraps for the most part. But I think sometimes, you know, you're seeing the ego get too much and Rodman was one of those guys. I mean, what if Rodman had not, um, been as outlandish and as wild and as crazy as he was, Would he would he have been the greatest NBA rebounder of all time? If he's not already, you know, potentially, uh, but you're right. Phil did an amazing job with that team. And, uh, you know, doesn't get as no- enough credit because of Jordan, of course, but he did a great job. And, uh, you know, Steve Kerr, you know, John Paxson, Bill Cartwright, Longley, Tony Kukoc, uh, obviously Pippen, um, don't forget about Scotty Burrell. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. It was an amazing team. And I remember vividly, you know, that final season, I remember so well that last season, because obviously they just, you know, steamrolled through everybody. And, um, you know, you knew when Jordan hit the shot to win it all, that was going to be it. And it was almost like what the I think almost kind of in a weird way what the New England Patriots are going to feel this year without number twelve. I just kind of feel the same way about it. And uh, you know, am I happy about it? I mean, hey, that's sports. It's it's sometimes it has to happen where you know a player's gonna gonna leave. And uh, what I don't understand, and I guess I'll see it when I see the tenth episode, is you know why did it happen? You know, I get Tom Brady. I mean, he's 43. He's playing now in Florida. He got his tight end back. You know, it's didn't give him the offensive weapons he wanted last year. He knew he was going to leave. But in in the Bulls' case, they could have probably won at least two more. I think Uh, I would have loved to have seen them expire, if you will, like the Celtics did, like the Pistons did. I think that would have been fun to see, and instead of it going the other way and uh, you know them blowing it up when it was at its peak.
2: I, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that, uh, is from a Rodman perspective because, you know, with a personality like that, you almost, you have to be very delicate because with his ability, you can, you, you know, you can win championships with him, but you know, one, one wrong move, one wrong step. And he has that type of personality and ego that can just be a distraction and blow your team up. And, you know, the way Phil Jackson handled that uh, situation w- was brilliant. Um, y- you know, uh, you know, with, with Jordan saying, you know, but I'm, I'm sorry, but I agree with your point. Um, you know, you would have loved, I would have loved to see that team come back because they could have possibly won two or two or three more, but it was just so there was still no, that that's the one thing I kind of missed from the documentary is, is there was still no explanation as to why Jerry Krause just arbitrarily went oh, right, oh. we're done. <laughs> we're done. That's it. Yeah. Phil, you're gone. Uh, Scotty, <laughs> you go, to, go ahead and go to Houston. I never got that part, but, you know, from from a standpoint of, you know, Phil Jackson coaching at Rodman, I think uh, there was no better coaching job. He he couldn't have handled him more beautifully than he did because it really just motivated Rodman to come back and be the player that he was. So, yeah, I, I think it was brilliant.
1: It didn't just motivate Rodman, too. It The fact that he was able to uh, control that Rodman situation, let him have his leash and come back, and that the rest of the team was cool with it. Like I think that showed there was a little excerpt towards uh, in one of these last couple episodes where one of the one of the reporters and again I think it just shows where as a reporter like you know Matt you've done for a long time as a media member uh, as a fan you you always think in terms of just like real life about things, and sports are not real life, right? And they they work so outside of real life that one of the reporters said, "Was Dennis Rodman's absence excused?" And Phil said, "No," <laughs> and 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 he was like, "Well, what do you think about the distraction that that's causing?" And Phil said, "We're not distracted. Like like we're good. We're we're still focused. Like we still we're fine." And they were. And it it, 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 to me, that that was of everything that happened in this most ridiculous poisoning of pizzas and and all these crazy things going on. That stood out so much to me, Phil Jackson's coaching prowess. The other thing that stood out to me was this. I think you can argue all day about who's better on the court between Kobe and LeBron and Michael Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell, and you're never going to win that argument because it's generational. It's not. They all play during different times. and They all play different positions, and and you have to just have your position, and you're fine with it. What I will say is, what I saw in that that I that I remember, but I I saw it so much more vividly and clearly during this documentary was where Jordan separated himself. He's he's top all time player, or at least right up there on the court, but that leadership. Even though everybody thought he was a dick, that leadership, that everybody thought he was a dick, but they wanted to make him happy. Every all of his teammates thought he was a dick, but they wanted to make him happy. They wanted to impress him and show him. He was such a jerk to Steve Kerr. And once Steve Kerr pushed back, they were tight. And it was his leadership that showed that's to me where he's separate. He's the great, I think he's the greatest leader on a team in team sports history.
4: I think he's the greatest of all time. I mean, I'm on the board of, you know, as much as I love LeBron and, you know, and even like you said, guys like Jordan and Russell. Um, to me, Jordan, nobody beats Jordan. I mean, here, and here's why I'll say this one game, one player. Who do you take? Not, not, you know, over the course of a career, you got to win one game. That's part of the reason I would take Jordan over LeBron or Kobe or Russell. And and again, you know, I, I'm not expecting to win the argument because, like you said, everybody has great points as to why. Right. I think Michael. I just think Michael showed, you know, how faceted he was, and um, you know, winning defensive, you know, uh, defensive MVPs, winning league MVPs. Um, you know, the, his ability in that game six against Utah to throw it to Kerr instead of just taking a, a bad shot, being double teamed. Can I stop you right there? Can I stop you for a minute though?
1: Right. Can I stop you for one second? Do you remember LeBron getting absolutely destroyed at towards the end of a game when he threw the ball to Danielle Marshall? Yep. The only difference is Steve Kerr hit the shot and Danielle
4: didn't. Yeah. But I mean, it was the right play. I mean, it was the right play for Kerr and it was the right play for LeBron, but like you said, different outcome because of the circumstances. So, um, you know, I, I applaud ESPN and Netflix for the series. I think it gave us a little bit of clarity on this Bulls team because there really wasn't, like you said, there wasn't, like, an ending to it. Um, and I also think it's been, you know, you know, we haven't, like, talked a lot about, you know, the, the you know, quarantine and all that other junk. But at the same time, I mean, it's been a great distraction. Every I know every Sunday night for two hours, all that I see on Twitter is about the last dance. I mean, they drew massive... Yes ratings, 5 million. Amazing. And good for them. They deserve it. They, they, you know, I think that this hopefully, you know, I'm a huge documentary guy, whether it be sports, or otherwise, hopefully I think this will open the door for other things of this caliber to be shown. I think a guy like Trevor Bauer who has his own company and does stuff like that is, is done a tremendous job too, showing us different aspects of sports. But I think this is uh, the series itself has got to win awards. It's been unbelievable. So, okay,
1: here's my here's my fun question for everybody involved in the podcast. I'm thinking, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking the Bulls are, you know, one of those elite all-time great run franchises, those Bulls of the 90s. Double, double three-peats. And here's the thought that pops into my head. Is this Cavs team that we just experienced with LeBron and, and well, some Kyrie and Kevin Love... Is it one of the great franchises in NBA history?
4: Not to me, no. There
1: are... there are The Boston Celtics went to 10 straight NBA Finals. The, uh, the Golden State Warriors went to five. They're number two. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Showtime Lakers are the only other franchises that have gone to four straight NBA Finals and the only team that the Cavs were running up against were the team that went to five straight NBA finals. Are we discrediting our own team? Okay. Two things. Is it a little bit of recency bias? Because we always have that and and recency bias is, is adverse. I, I think things that are happening right now aren't as good as things that were happening 20 years ago. Everybody does that. Everybody does that. Are do we discredit and and maybe because it's just a Cleveland thing, too, that we don't think our teams are that good? Are we discrediting
0: this team a little bit?
1: Four straight NBA finals, they're only one of four teams that have ever done that. And the only team that was standing in their way of four straight championships was the team that did it more than them.
4: If they would have won one more, Mike, I would I would be able to argue better with you on that, but I don't I don't think so. And Another big reason for it, and this isn't the Cavs' fault, this is just what it is. Who really was in their way?
1: I mean But you could say that every everybody would say that about any team that makes straight finals like that. And people say that about the Cowboys or the Bills or
4: people say that. Well, I, I'm I'm but basketball's different in that, you know, you have you have a superstar like LeBron, he can single-handedly take over a game. We saw that before. We've seen it a million times, but I mean, oh look God, at the finals run in a
2: Boston series.
4: The, right. LeBron single-handedly took the cast, that cast team to the final. Right. And I mean, look at the competition that they had in those, in those years. I'm not saying it was easy, but I'm saying, you know, Indiana, they, they weren't, they weren't a title team. Boston, they were okay, but they were never a title team. Atlanta was a joke. The one year they had home court advantage. Um you know Philadelphia, no, they were not good until you know finally you know after LeBron left, and then I guess the other team that you you know you could put in there, I guess is what like New Jersey or Brooklyn, or you know there just wasn't anybody that I thought would really challenge like or Toronto that would be the other team you could put in there, and they were probably the closest um but I just think it I thought the road was kind of easy to be honest and i And again, that's not the Cavs fault. That's just how it played out. And thankfully that's how it played out because the last thing you would want for the Cavaliers who couldn't get past golden state was for them to get beat up in the conference finals and then to get swept every year, you know, it was bad enough. They got swept once. I mean, it was tough to see, but, um, no, I, I, you know, were they good? Yeah, very good. But it was, again, I I can't say that they were one of the best of all time.
1: Well, but uh, here's the other thing. Uh, they're not the first team to, and listen, I think we, again, I think we think think of teams in the past better than what teams in the past were could, uh, could the, um, we saw in the last episode that Indiana Pacers were a big part of it. Uh, can you definitively say that the Toronto Raptors that year, that the Cavs had to go through the Raptors and they could not win in Toronto? Uh, Could you say that that Toronto Raptors team was not every bit as good as that Indiana Pacers team? Well, no, you're not going to say that because you're going to think, oh, Reggie Miller, recency bias. You're going to fondly remember that team. I think of the New York Knicks back then. Listen, those guys were good. John Starks was good. And, and Patrick Ewing's great. Yeah. But like, were they that great? No, not really. Uh, I, I, I always think that we tend to think that we have the easier path, but like, Four straight NBA finals is something that no team does, even when the the conference even when the conference is bad, no team does that.
2: But how many of those teams that the Cavs faced in that were great? I mean, you just
4: mentioned John Stark's good. Patrick Ewing, great. Hall of Fame.
2: How many yeah, how many of those teams that the Cavs faced in that finals were were great?
4: Reggie Miller, Hall of Fame. Yeah. I I, you know, again, I mean that's all that you need to be said for me. I mean, again, I I hate to say it, but you know, I, I Wanna, you know, and here's the thing, Mike. I don't want to like just. I'm not throwing the Cavs team away. They were very, they were good. They were they were very good in some regard. They just weren't one of the greatest. And I, as I said before, win another title, it's a totally different conversation. I,
1: okay, so here's the other thing. I just think, so so your team that you're losing to in your four straight finals, the team that you went one and three against, is the team that went to five straight finals win three and two in those finals set the all-time wins record. So let's say Golden State doesn't exist because truly Golden State is the only reason, and especially Golden State with Kevin Durant is the only reason that the Cavs don't have multiple titles in that run. Uh, So let's say Golden State isn't Golden State. Let's say they don't run into that juggernaut. What if the Cavs have three finals?
4: Are we talking totally different? Yeah, absolutely. So So it doesn't matter. The titles are all that matters. Yeah, titles are all that matters. Buffalo Bills, one of the best teams ever. The ever. Great Super Bowls? Nope. Not in my eyes, anyway. And again, I mean, I can argue that all night. I know that if you live in Buffalo, you think those teams are the greatest teams, but hey, get the job done when there's a ring involved. That's all. And I, I hate to just, I hate for that to be my only barometer. But sports fan, that's my only barometer because unfortunately, you don't remember who, who lost. I hate to say it. That's it. You don't remember who lost. I don't, I've already forgotten a lot about those. <laughs> I just have, I mean, you know, but, but I remember a lot about 16 because they won, you know, I, I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, unfortunately we're, we're a society that, that, you know, honors the winners and the losers. Well, Hey, good effort, but we'll see you later. You know, you think anybody's going to care about the San Francisco 49ers next year? No, no, you know, they, they had a lead in the Super Bowl. They couldn't have done, but everybody will jump on the Chiefs. I, I, that just, that's just how we are. That's just how we are. The Washington Nationals, same thing. You know, I mean, again, we'll hopefully you have some baseball to play, but that's just how we are as a society. We, yeah. we want to, you know, we want to embrace the winners. We don't want to be associated with the team that lost or the losers or whatever. You know, I thought it was so silly. I'll go back to this real quick in 1995 when the Indians had a parade after they lost the world series oh my god well why did you do that like you're celebrating a lot long- well they were they were so bad for so long though I get it but uh, to have a parade oh it's bad
1: I'm not excusing that
4: I know but I, I mean again I'm just I'm using examples as to you know again how our society treats the situation and I still think that you know, we, we, we honor the winners. We, we don't care about the losers and that just, just, you know, and it doesn't mean that they didn't put forth the effort. It doesn't mean that they didn't, you know, try their best, all that other type of junk, but, uh, you know, that last one and the, and the other part of it too. And I, I gotta, I gotta just say this. I wonder if getting swept in the last one kind of takes them down another notch. You know, the fact that one game you know, and the year before they won one game, you know, after the 16 year, I almost kind of wonder if that sort of takes the luster off that team. They've got, in other words, they were one and eight against the team, you know, that obviously eventually won the two championships, but um, I don't know. That
1: team needed to bring in the second best player in the NBA
4: to do it though. So there is that argument too. Oh, no, you're right. It was a cheap move and it was a, you know, I loved. It. by the way, did you guys see by, I think it was on Twitter a couple times this week when Peyton Manning roasted them at the S F- yes, F- but I digress.
1: So listen, uh, uh, we want people to keep coming back and we had about 15 more things to talk to you about, but we had a really awesome conversation about the Indians. We finally got to get, we, we weren't able to really get in to the last dance all that much over the last couple episodes. Uh, Al Snow didn't want to talk about it too much. So, uh, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up with one final little, uh, segment here and, uh, Matt, this is something I kind of cleared with you before we came on. And, um, listen, man, you're known by so many people. You've done this for a long, long time. You're the amount of respect that you carry in, your name and what you do is crazy. And, uh, and a lot of us were rocked, uh, no, no more than you and your, your amazing wife and family, uh, last year Yeah, when you, when you received that, uh, that, uh, crazy diagnosis and, uh. Um uh, so I think a lot of people just want to hear from you. They want to hear what's going on, what's what are your updates? I know uh we a lot of us follow you on Twitter. So and and you're amazing that you uh amazingly strong that you open up with your life and you share um the ups and downs and everything in between. And and I don't think you understand how much hope that gives people that are going through a lot of the same things that you are. Uh so just uh I don't know, just give us an update. How are you feeling? Um, You know, we're all thinking about you a lot, so uh, just kind of talk to us about that.
4: Yeah, and and, and I want to start, you know, and and I do this when I usually talk about it, you know, I want to start by just saying how um, lucky, you know, I am to have so many uh, great people around me, you know, I mean, I I would be nothing without my family, my friends, uh, you know, media brethren, if you will, Um, you know, it's so humbling to have so many people that have reached out on a daily basis since last April 29th, when everything happened, um, that have just said, Hey, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. You know, I get calls every day. I get emails, I get texts. Um, it's, it's just overwhelming, Mike. I can't tell you, um, how it warms my heart to, you know, and, and really you know, I, I guess, you know, there's there's an old saying that, you know, you don't know how strong you are until it's the only thing you have left. And, you know, in this case, for me, you know, I was diagnosed last May. Well, actually, it was last, again, April 29th really was the day um, with stage four uh, blood cancer, which is lymph- uh, commonly known as lymphoma. I say blood cancer because when you hear the word lymphoma, I wouldn't have known what it meant. Uh, I was in the hospital for about a month last May. Um, came home, I uh, was going through chemotherapy, uh, had a setback in July, right, actually right at the all-star break, um, had to go on more intense chemo back in August, uh, was able to recover from that, uh, went into remission for a very short period of time, had another setback in January. And, um, I've had two transplants. Uh, I think it's nine rounds of chemo. Uh, which is really hard on your body. Uh, I think anybody who's had chemo knows that. I'm not breaking any, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't already know. And um, so what we're going through right now is uh, a second transplant that I had back in March called a CAR-T transplant. And um, the tumor that I have in my stomach that just doesn't want to go away has actually started to grow again, um, which is not good. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go to the next step, which is radiation, uh, which is something I have not had yet. And actually, yesterday and today, I was down at the cancer center, at Sideman Cancer Center. And again, I can't say enough good things about the doctors, the nurses, uh, just the personnel there. They've just been, uh, I mean, just unbelievable. Been, they're a family now to me. And it's, it's really unbelievable. Um, but anyway, uh, so today was the day to go down there and, and get everything set up for the radiation. It's kind of a process. You have to like, you know, get you lined up on, you know, on the table and all this other type of stuff. Um, so I'll probably have a little bit of a break now, uh up until like probably the first week in June. Um, and then at that point we'll uh we'll get some dates set up. I'll have to go through five weeks, uh five days a week of radiation. So it'll be it'll be a struggle, uh, just because of the amount of time that I'll have to put into it. Uh it's not a real long process. You're only down there for I think you're on the table for all of 15 to 20 minutes, which is good. Um, but the, they obviously, the hope and the prayer is that this, this uh, radiation will end the, you know, will, will put me back in remission, which is what we're hoping for. So we'll see. Uh, we, we can only hope so, but I can't, you know, thank you. Thank everybody, you know, all my friends at WEOL um, and just all my friends in the media in general, who've just been just beyond overwhelming. I mean, that we had a fundraiser. For medical bills back in January, or no, February, I'm sorry, early February, that a lot of my Indians friends put on uh, Joe Noga from cleveland.com, Zach Meisel of uh, The Athletic, Mandy Bell of MLB.com, Ryan Lewis of the Akron Beacon Journal. And, you know, we raised quite a bit of money for medical purposes. And man, it was, I mean, just to see the people that were there, I mean, it was like, it was unbelievable, you know, and, and people that I, you know, can honestly say are, are more than even friends, you know, I mean, they're family you know, it, it, and it's just been great. And it really has. And I, I, you know, I have a hard time sometimes discussing it only because I don't know, you know, I never want to downplay what other people are going through. You know, I, I know a lot of hurting people out there and all I can tell you is if you're not hurting and you have the ability to do it, as I said, at the fundraiser back in February, reach out to somebody who is, you know, send them a text, uh, send them a note, you know, make a phone call, just, say, Hey man, I'm thinking about you, you know, I'm praying about you, you know, I just want to say, I love you. And, you know, and, and you never know, you don't know what, what that means to somebody, you know, I mean, um, you know, and it's cause so many people have done it for me. And obviously uh, in the, in the course of trying to give back a little bit, I try to do that with a lot of people. Um, you know, I don't get to as many people as I want, but I try. And, uh, but it's been, it's been a quite a year. I can honestly say I never mm. felt, when I turned 45 that I would be in this position, but you know, uh, I I don't know if I'd have it any other way at this point. Well, I'll tell you what, well,
1: one of the lasting memories, uh, I think, uh, the coolest thing, literally one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of cool things, my wedding, the birth of my child, hanging out on this podcast. Yeah. I've been through a lot of cool things, but one of the coolest things for me, And this is just a personal you and me story that involves a lot of other people. (laughs) Uh, The all-star game last year. Right. And they did the stand up for cancer. Oh yeah. That's right. And you had just gotten a setback. Yeah. And everybody will remember the Carlos Carrasco Mm
4: -hmm.
1: because it was amazing. I was there. I had goosebumps. Yeah. But I will never forget picking up that sign that they left on everybody's chairs and putting your name on it. Yeah. That was crazy. And I was, I was way up like way. I know you were. I saw you. (laughs) I remember seeing you there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But then I go on Twitter and I see all the media guys. That was crazy. And they're all holding those signs and man, you know, you never want to go through this. It's not worth it. No, no, it's not, it's not, it's not, but the, the, the experiences when you come out the other side, uh, that was, that, that's something that I will never forget.
4: Yeah. I had a, I had a good friend of mine who uh, did some writing for me many years ago who who went through some really difficult cancer. I mean, I think he said he had it for eight years and went through every chemo you could possibly go through and everything. And he reached out to me after the last setback and he said, you know, when this is over, um, you, you are not going to want to be the same person you were and you won't be the same person you were. And, uh, you know, coming from him, I, I mean, I think that you know he wasn't trying to be mean in any way or, or shape or form, but it it kind of hit me like he's right. You know, I mean, just the, the 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 life experiences from this, but also just the the emotional experiences with people. And man, that night at the All Star Game, that was uh, that was that was special. I mean, that's all I can say. That was just unbelievable. And the fact that you know, again, it kind of started with Zach Meisel and then it sort of uh, Chris Ossenheimer and then Daryl Ryder. And then it just, it kind of took off from there. And, um, I, I, I couldn't have been more, uh, again, humbled, um, is the only word I could think of and, and, and just proud, you know, that, that, uh, I could say I'm a part of this crew and, you know, part of this media crew now for 26 years. And, um, it's been unbelievable. So, uh, Hey man,
1: uh, we got a lot more things we want to talk about with you. We just don't have the time to do it tonight. I know it's going to uh, go to bed. I know. I didn't mean to keep you up this late, uh, but, right. uh, Hey man, we love you. We, uh, love we you guys. so too. grateful. You, we're so grateful. you came on. We're so grateful to have you as, as not just a friend, but family. And, uh, uh, we're going to, uh, you know, if, if you'll come on with us, we'll have you yeah. anytime. We had a blast, uh, talking the Indians. You depressed me, but <laughs> I'll get over it. Uh, you will get and, over it. Uh, and, and we'll do this again. So Matt Lodi uh, from Sports Illustrated, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, catch out Matt, catch Matt's article Friday on SI.com. It'll be, it'll be on their MLB page and it'll yep. be national. So uh, catch that on Friday. But Matt, uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, thank you guys. And that was Matt Lodi joining us on the Garage Beers podcast. And I'll tell you what, boys, uh, what an outlook. That's the second time in my <laughs> garage, bugs are just flying into Joey. That's the second time one
2: has hit That would hit him right in the cross. Yeah, I'm getting pelted out here.
1: This is, this is the
2: last time I'm ever in the garage. <laughs> no wonder why you don't hang out in the garage for the show now. That's like what's the size of a beer can. I'm going back to my apartment in Nashville must be an east side thing i've never had a single bug problem in this garage since we've done this show and all of a sudden you guys are getting hit in the dick and balls <laughs> with, with
1: <bugs>. in <laughs> fairness in fairness my garage was built in
2: 1952
1: oh. so it, it, it just happened
2: oh <laughs> well, man you're you're fucking you're java chamberlain getting hit in the dick <laughs> yeah. with,
1: with Boys, what about that uh thank you again to matt Lodi for coming on with us his story is an inspiration, but more than his story, his outlook is an inspiration. And uh, you know, uh, I have the fortune of of calling him a friend and talking to him on a regular basis. And man, anytime I feel like I'm having a hard day or I'm having a hard week or whatever, uh, I talk to Matt Lodi and 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 oh there's the bug, it's on me. Uh I'm trying to be nice here, Bug. Uh I talk to Matt and he makes me feel totally different. So uh you know, I, I have a feeling that dude is a fighter and I have a feeling, uh, he's been around for 20 plus years. We're going to see him around for another 20 plus on the sports beat. So, uh, it was just awesome having him on great insight on the Indians, uh, real fun talk on the last dance and on the Cavs. Uh, and I think that's pretty much going to do it for us, boys. You got, you got anything else to add, Joe?
3: I want to get some off and, uh, <laughs> Probably go inside after this. That, that's the first and only time I'll. Well, no, I'll be back. Let's be real.
1: Yeah, let's be real. I'll
3: be real. I'll be, I'll be back in the garage in June, July. You'll see me here. But uh, no, it's been a pleasure with you fellows tonight.
2: Oh, oh, the pleasure has been all mine, guys. All
1: right, boys. Oh, my. Well, it's been a blast. Uh, again, uh, catch us on our social media pages at uh, the Garage Beers Podcast on Facebook. Uh, what did you name our Instagram page, Chad?
2: Garage underscore beers underscore
1: pod. Boom. Check us out on our, a, on our Twitter page, at the Garage Beers. Next week, we got some football players. We got two, right, next week.
2: Jen? We sure do. Coming up, uh, well, we're, I mean, I, I don't know how we're going to handle it, but on Tuesday, we're going to do it. On Tuesday, we're going to interview uh former Mount Union product. And I had no idea, you know, I knew he went to Mount Union, but I didn't know he grew up in Cleveland and went to Collinwood high school. But yeah, yeah. the third is going to be joining us next week. And uh, on Tuesday, we're recording that interview. And on Thursday, Brown's tight end and a brush high school alumnus and former Oregon duck, Farrell Brown, Uh, is going to be joining us as well on the pod so it's going to be uh it's going to be a lot of fun next week we got a couple of good interviews coming up
1: yeah we got a football week coming up uh so again as always uh follow us on our social media uh please like us on apple Podcasts or spotify or iheart or wherever podcasts can be found Uh, we appreciate you listening we appreciate uh, your feedback and uh and we want to interact with you so uh get with us on there and uh Listen, as always, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you again next week. Thank you again to Matt Lodi for Chad and Joey. I'm Michael Keith. saying cheers, everybody.
0: Ooh. You coming to bed, hon?
3: Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light.
0: Ow! 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 Ah! Gah! Some things never change. Ow. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. Ow. And... Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15%
4: or more.